this is going to be a little bit of a challenging shear. Um, and you might even be a little bit disturbed by it, for which I don't apologize because I think it's important. Um, I would like to dedicate this shear um, to the safe return of Daniel Shimon ben Sharon, uh, Rav Perez's uh, son, and his tank crew, Itai ben Chagit, Matan ben Amit, and Toma ben Keren. Uh, sorry, Matan ben Anat and Toma ben Keren. Uh, they have all been missing since the morning of October 7th, since Simchas Torah morning. Um, we hope, first of all, that they will soon discover that they are alive, that they are safe, that they are well, and that they will hopefully, Bezrat Hashem, soon be returned home where they belong. Um, you know, Parshat Noach is a difficult Parsha. Breshit is exciting. Adam, creation of the world, Kishmat. Lech Lecha, Lech Lecha is the beginning of Judaism. Light comes back into the world. Noach basically is the story of a massive failure. Massive. Hashem decides that the world needs to be destroyed. The world has become destructive. Not accidentally. Whenever I mention this, I always point that as a side. Yes, you know, that's interesting for another time. Tonight is not another time. The world was filled with Hamas. They chose that word well. Because that is the reason the world is destroyed. Now there is a fundamental question here. <coughs> fundamental question. Who's responsible for this? And I want you to understand. You know, on the one hand, we're here and we're learning. And we're in Yerushalayim. And you know, around the world, they think we're in the middle of a war zone. You know, they, 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 how are you staying in Israel? The bombs are falling everywhere. But here you're sitting and it's actually very easy to forget there's a war on. If you don't listen to the news, there hasn't been a siren since Monday, you know. And when there was a siren, so what was the big deal? You went from the base Mendesh down to the Rambam room. You know, you heard a shear in Chumash for 10 minutes from a blow instead of a shear from Rav David upstairs. You know, you, you got to ask before you go to the gym to work out. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because... You're here, we're supposed to live, we're not supposed to die. What's that famous line from, let's see if you know the movie? You either keep living or you start dying. Anybody know the movie? Get busy living or... Ah, Bacchus. Get busy living or get busy dying. Shawshank Redemption, Geschmack line. I understand that. But at the same time, you got to take a pause. This is the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. 1,200, 13, I don't even know the numbers yet. Hundreds and hundreds of Jews. And not just, not just murdered, not just butchered. This is not a war. This is Mamash a massacre. Right? And you know what the most amazing thing is? The Nazis, they tried to hide it. Hamas isn't hiding it. They made videos. They put it out all over the internet. I have made a point of trying not to watch the videos because they want us to watch the videos. And if you watch it and you become upset... And, and, and it can really, I think it, some of this stuff could traumatize you. I don't think it's healthy for you to watch it. I think it's good that the world should see it. They're proud of this. It's unbelievable what they did. There was a, a, a girl named Moore. You know how she found out that her grandmother was murdered? They, they didn't murder her, they butchered her. They took her cell phone, and they filmed it on her phone. And then they uploaded it to her Facebook account. 
And that's how her granddaughter watched her grandmother being butchered. You do that to an 85-year-old woman. Unbelievable. Holocaust survivors. There are people who are missing, who've been executed, and Hamas sent videos to their WhatsApp lists. And that's how they found out their loved ones were murdered. Talked to a soldier who was there during that terrible day. The, the trauma that he's going through as a soldier, and he's still out there, from, from seeing the body of a three-month-old baby that's riddled with bullets. Who, who behaves like that? Where's your decency? Beheaded soldiers. Can you imagine? I remember when we were in Lebanon, and I remember came below Beirut and there was like a stench. And I never smelled, it was horrible. And there were bodies lying everywhere. The, the Fat had, had run off, whatever, after a particular battle, and they left bodies there. And they'd been, they'd been, you know, baking in the sun for a few days. My brother, who was in Lebanon the year before in, in Beirut, um, and below Beirut, I think he was in Sidon at the time, I don't remember, on the beach. And uh, I don't know, was it days, was it weeks? They just left the bodies there. You know what the Israelis did with those bodies? They covered them. They called in the Rabbanut. They collected the bodies and they buried them because a body is a vessel for a neshama. And that's how you treat even your enemy. Unbelievable. Over 80%. I heard an interview with someone from Kibbutz Be'eri, Moshav Be'eri. There were over 200 people in that kibbutz alone who were murdered. And they were collecting the bodies. And he said over 80% of the bodies were tortured. They didn't just kill them. They found groups of, of in, in one of the places, they found two groups of children, eight, nine, ten-year-olds. They tied them together with their backs to each other in a circle, and they burned them alive. They murdered babies in front of their mothers. How do you do that? I want you to know what Parshas Noach teaches us. Parshas Noach teaches us that there can come a point where it's enough. Where it's enough. It's done. There's no one to talk to, and there's nothing left to do but destroy the world. And when does that happen? A culture can become so animalistic, so violent and so barbaric, they lose the right to exist in this world. Not because we think so, because the Kosh Baruch thinks so. And for some reason, the entire world merits destruction. It's an unbelievable idea. Now, we don't think about this. We just read the Parshish Noach, they destroyed the world. You ever think about what that means? Every single person. Imagine, you get into an ark, right? You're in COVID-19, and you're in your room, or your house with your family. And maybe, you know, your two brothers who are married and their families, they all come and you stay in the house, and you're there for a year. And when you come out, there is no one alive. That's unbelievable. What could cause such a destruction? Now, one of the questions that we have to deal with is how do we deal with this? What is the obvious feeling that you feel just hearing these stories? I mean, I, I, I catch myself sometimes listening to the news, I turn off the news. Because you just can't help but feel what? 
Enraged. Anger. Maybe we should feel angry. Maybe we shouldn't feel angry. How do you deal with that? But before we get there, let me ask you a question. Who's responsible? Let's talk about Noah. Noah and the flood. Who is responsible for the destruction of the world? Who caused the destruction of the world? Humanity. Okay, maybe. Let me ask you a question. Let's say that a few of us get together and we feel that we need to build the yeshiva. So we do. And there's, you know, a few of us, me and Rav Moish and Rav Aaron and Rav Noam. And then little by little, we add a few more men. And, you know, somebody comes to visit the yeshiva. And they've erected idols. It's a pagan orgy of idolatry. And they're killing people and they're high on drugs. And I don't know, think about the worst case scenario. What do you think we would do? We'd close the yeshiva, right? If, if the yeshiva is an orgy of violence, idolatry, I mean, if you look at what happens in the story of Noah, right, it's clear that there's, there's, there's idolatry, there's arayos, we'll get to that in a minute, okay, and, and there's murder, the big, the big three, so the world doesn't merit to live and it gets destroyed. Now, if we had to destroy the yeshiva because it became so terrible, who really would be responsible? We would. If you build a business and, and it becomes, you know, destructive, you're responsible. I, I didn't see the movie Oppenheimer. One of those things I'm hoping eventually to get a chance to see, you know, whatever. But I know, I've read some of the articles about his struggle with the advent of the nuclear age and his role in it. And he felt responsible for the fact that he had brought or been part of bringing this terrible, terrible technology into the world. And he felt that if those weapons caused the destruction of the world, he would be responsible. And you know what? On a certain level, he was right. So the world needs to get destroyed because it's a mess. Well, who made the world? Who's the CEO of world number one? Kosh Baruch So who's really responsible here? Kosh Baruch How do we understand that? Now let's develop that question for a minute. Right? So... Hashem says, I'm going to make a world. And there's no Jews yet. There's just Adam. Adam has two sons, right? First of all, Adam and Chava get given one opportunity. Do this one mitzvah, and they blow it, right? I'm really oversimplifying a complex story, but let's assume that's right. But they have two kids. Well, the two kids, there's only two brothers, and one of them kills the other. It's unbelievable. But Hashem says, I'll give you another chance. He gives him another son. Because right? one of his sons is dead and the other son is now wandering. He's, there's, no, there's no continuity. What's going to be? So he gives him another son. Anybody remember what his name is? Shait. Why is he called Shait? Kishatli Elokim Zera Acher Tachat Kain Tachat Hevel Asher Arago Kain He gives him a chance. I'll give you another son. Because the first one, you blew it. What happens to the other son, Shait? What's his son's name? Anybody remember? Enosh. And if you look at the Rambam in the beginning of the Nechaz Zara, when he talks about how the world begins to turn to pagan idolatry, during which generation does this happen? The generation of Enosh. This is not a very successful company. How many generations are there between Adam and Noach? Ten. ten generations. In ten generations, the world becomes so violent that it has to be destroyed. Now, let me ask you a question. Does Hashem know that the world is going to be destroyed? Okay. By the way, how do I know that Hashem knows this? Because it's written in the Torah. And who gave us the Torah? Hashem. 
Hashem didn't come up with something. There isn't events that impact. Right? Hashem doesn't write an article because something happened. The article of Hashem is what makes it and is what happens. So the flood was always meant to be. So that's really interesting. Not only is Hashem dis- responsible for the destruction of the world, Hashem creates the world in order to destroy it. That makes no sense. How do we understand this? And by the way, just to develop this theme for a moment, this is not a new idea. And I'll give you another example. Adam is created, and he's alone. Whatever alone means. Now, is it good to be alone or not good to be alone? It's not good to be alone. So what's the obvious question? Why does him create him alone? Right? So, the Kabbalistic idea is that Adam and Chava originally were one, and then they become other. Right? So, if they were one, and that's good, why did they get split? And if they're meant to be split, why were they ever created a one? How could it be that something that Hashem creates is lotov? It says, lotov yot adam levado. It's not good for man to be alone. And yet, at the end of the first paragraph of Breshit, it says, Vayar et kol tov me'od. It's very good. Now, if you want to be, you know, like a stark teretz, you'll say, well, you know, it was not good, but it was very good. Nah, you can't say that. You could say, well, everything Hashem made was good, but this is something, but that's Hashem. We haven't done anything to make it not good. The only way to explain that is that when man was originally alone, it was good. But eventually it became not good. Okay. So Hashem splits us up. And then we're spending the rest of eternity. So why did he put us together if he's going to split us up? Hashem puts us in the Garden of Eden. He says, you could stay in the Garden of Eden. You got anything? Just one thing you got to not do. Don't eat from the tree. Do they eat from the tree? Yeah, they eat from the tree. What happens when they eat from the tree? They get kicked out of the pool. Does Hashem know they're going to get kicked out of the pool? So Hashem puts them in Gan in order to kick them out. Hashem puts Adam and Chava together in order to separate them. Hashem separates them so that one day they'll come back together. There's a pattern here. One way of understanding this is that we were in Gan Eden because we needed to taste what Gan Eden was, but we hadn't earned it. Then we needed to leave Gan Eden, but because we were once in Gan Eden, because we were close to Hashem, we know what it is we're looking for. We were once one. Hashem created us as one. We, we, we knew what it was to be one with someone, but we didn't earn it. Then we get separated, but now we know what we're looking for. That sense that you're looking for someone special in your life, that comes from a yearning, mystically, that we once experienced. Whatever that means. So that means that Hashem creates a world in order to destroy it for a reason. And I'm going to suggest that the reason Hashem creates a world in order to destroy it is because we need to know why a world deserves to be destroyed. Because part of our mission here is to make sure to rebuild a better world. And when we taste the world that was lost in the flood, we need to understand that that needs to be destroyed. That's a very hard thing to say. Pshat in Pashat Noach. Now, there's a very interesting question when it comes to the flood. You know, we talk about the big issues, but there's also a little issue. And I'll give you an example, right? 
I get that human beings can become so violent, so destructive, so base, so horrible, they don't deserve to live. And you could debate who makes that decision and whether Hashem gives us the ability to make that decision, but it's entirely possible. To, it's easy to understand that that could be. Whether we could make that decision on our own is another question. By the way, when I say doesn't deserve to continue in this world, I'm not just talking about an individual who takes up a machete and chops someone's hands off. That's easy. Easy to understand that that person shouldn't be here. It's not easy to comprehend. But let me ask you a question. My daughter had a chilling comment at the Shabbos table. We are talking about this. I remember in Suketan, I believe it was Suketan, which was in 2014. And this was a very difficult battle in Aza. And we lost, I think, over 60 soldiers. And uh, we basically, the missiles and everything else got so bad, they had to go into Aza and create a deterrent. And very difficult. And Israel bends over backwards to protect civilians. It's, it's among the many things that have to come out of this year is that every one of you who walks out of here should have no problem explaining to anyone on campus how absurd it is to support Hamas. That's just unbelievable to me. But we're going to talk about that in the, in the Q&A for those who want. But okay. But, but, but one of the things to understand, right, is that, so my daughter said, you know, the 10-year-olds, I mean, anybody who thinks that Israel, that the, the absurdities that you get yelled at you know, that Israel is this genocidal... That's unbelievable. It's, it's not only unbelievable because it's false. It's, 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 it's so far from the truth as to be ridiculous. It's just unbelievable that people think that. I remember in the army how hard we worked to protect civilians. That they have the gall to accuse us of being barbaric now, never mind in the last 50 years. It's just mind-boggling to me. And, and one of the challenges today is that you're, if you're on a campus and somebody yells at you baby killers after what we experienced here, you have to resist the urge to go over and throttle them. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's what you should do. Maybe we should just kill them all and be done with it. But that's a pretty serious question. But here's a chilling thought. The 10-year-old children that we were bending over backwards to protect in 2014 are the terrorists that were murdering babies today. So I get how HaKadosh Baruch Hu could say a society, a culture has become so beyond the pale the world needs to rid itself of that culture. A world could be destroyed. Only you are righteous, Noah. Nobody else should be here. There's no point in having a world if that's what we're going to get. You know, people talk about whether you should have a Palestinian state. <coughs> So I usually don't get into this and maybe at the end of the year, but I'm going to break my rule of, of 15 years. And in the Q&A for everybody who wants in the back room, I'm going to tell you what I think about this Palestinian conflict. I'm going to tell you where this is going. And I'm going to give you some food for thought, if you want. How do we understand this? So that's the first question. But if you look carefully at this story, I, I understand why the human beings are destroyed. But, 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 but what does the Pusuk say? It doesn't say society. It says the land, the whole world. Every living creature has become destructive. What does that even mean? And we know, thank you. And we know that Hashem doesn't just destroy, right, the people. He destroys the animals. 
He destroys the lizards. He destroys the snakes. Every living, breathing creature. What did the animals do? Why are the animals destroyed? What does that mean? And this is an important piece in the Torah. Right? And if you look in Parak Vav I'm bringing this flood of destruction on the world. I'm going to destroy every last living, breathing creature on this planet. There's a puppy dog. And it was born... Everybody, anybody here ever hold a puppy that's like a week old? It's the cutest thing in the world. It's the cutest thing in the world. Shem says, that puppy's got to go. That puppy has got to go. Why do we have to destroy the animals? And if you really want to get into this, listen to this. This is an unbelievable Rashi. Rashi and Perak Vav, the prosecutor, Bet, says the following. Right? Because every, all of, I guess the animal kingdom, all living, living, breathing creatures have become destructive. Listen to what Rashi says. Afilu nizkakin minan. Even the animals, they're sleeping around. That's a crazy Rashi. The giraffes are hanging out with the lions, if you know what I mean. Not cool. The snakes, they're running after the rabbits. And they're not trying to eat them. It's not good. So we're going to destroy... What is that? That's crazy Rashi. Is that pshat? Rashi says pshat. Is that... So how do we understand this? Right? <clears throat> and then, by the way... If you look in Parakhet, the end of the story of the flood, what does it say? Vayomer Elokim. This is in Parakhet, Pasuk Yudbet. Vayomer Elokim zot ot habrit asher nidotem beniv enichem. Right, the rainbow is the sign. Uvein kol nefesh chaya asher itchem ledorot alav. Hashem makes a covenant not just with Noah, not just with humanity, with the animal kingdom. I will never destroy the snakes again, the lions, the mice. What is going on here? What does this mean? Now, in order to stand, understand this, <clears throat> we have to ask one last question. And then we'll see if we can put it together. So, the flood, the destruction, the rebirth. Noah comes out, plants a vineyard, gets drunk, that's a little bit of a mess, but the world flourishes, Okay? And the world has one thing going for it. What is the one thing going for the world back then? They're not, they're no Jews yet. It's not clear that they're monotheistic, but maybe they are. We're going to find out that they're not. Nobody's keeping Shabbos yet, right? But they have one thing going for them. The people are working together. The people are working together, right? What does the Pesach say, right? Right? The entire people speak the same language. And they're all speaking, they're all doing the same thing. They're all hanging out. Everybody's together. And they leave, right? If you look uh, in Perk Yud, Perk Yud Aleph, um, right? Vayibinos Ammikedem, they travel from the east. Why does the Torah tell me where they travel from? Interesting, okay? Vayimtsu Bik'ah Be'eret Shin'ar, and they find a valley. Vayeshvusham, and they, they live there. Vayamru ish al re'ehu. Now, re'a is a word we're familiar with. Where did we recently in Rambam Shir come up in the word re'a? 
So I would think that the word Rea means your fellow Jew. But actually not. Rea seems to mean when you are with your brothers in the way that you're at one, then you're Rein. When a couple gets married, it's not enough that they cohabitate together. It's not enough they live in there. They have to be Rein Ma'ovim. They have to be together. They have to work together. They have to be. So this is amazing. The whole world is a partnership. Can you imagine how awesome that is? There's no Likud and Marach and the right wing and the left wing and the Trumpers and the Bideners and the Chvesnishters. It's just everybody together. We don't need different political parties. We don't need to have an election. Everybody knows who the president is. It's unbelievable. So what do they do? They say together, Let's make bricks. And we're going to build it. They build buildings. We're going to build a city. It's an interesting question why they need to build a city. You're just hanging out. But okay. When you build a city, it's because you want to be together, presumably. And you want to build things together. That's great. And a tower. Right? Sorry. And let's make for ourselves a name, lest we spread out in the land. Now the word name here is very powerful. The word shame or vaishvu sham, those two letters, shin mem, appear seven times in this story. Because this is what the story is all about. Now what's a shame? Right? The letter shin. There's three lines, right? There's a sefer called the Sefer Aotiot of Rabbi Akiva. Okay, it's ascribed to Rabbi Akiva, and it describes the significance of the letters, the tagging on the letters. It's a very old mystical book. And in that Sefer Aotiot, right, the shin represents chaos. It's letters going everywhere. Okay? The mem, which is the almost perfect circle, you can have a perfect circle made by man, but the almost perfect circle, right, that represents harmony. And I'll give you two examples of this, Okay? Um, I, um, I once at an Israelite, uh, one of our Israelite programs, we had many years ago, we had a, a, a student who, uh, we were talking about this and this idea came up and he was so excited about this. He came over to me. He said, I'm an audiologist. He, you know, works with people of hearing issues, etc. And one of the things that they work with is an oscilloscope. An oscilloscope measures sound. He said, this is really interesting. He said, shin is the only sound that has no line. It's, there's no line on the oscilloscope. It's just white light. Shh. It's a sound of dissonance. That's why when you want to stop people, you shh. Right? Mem, on the other hand, the mm sound, is the only sound that is a perfect white line on an oscilloscope. This is what he told me. I've never checked this out, but I have no reason to assume he was lying. That's amazing. Right? Okay? Mem represents harmony. By the way, this makes sense. When people meditate, what do they do? They say... Um, you'll never hear people saying, let's meditate. Bzzz. They don't do that. Because that sound is harmony. It's beauty. It's wholeness. So shin is chaos. Mem is harmony. A shame is what allows me to bring chaos into harmony. Okay? Now think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. Okay? If, I'm being Damikavskos, I know you want to hear that, right? By the way, shame on all of you, because a guy who's really stark and learning seriously all week, he should be so exhausted he can't keep his eyes open. So you obviously need to stay up and learn more Torah. But anyway, shame. Shame, the whole idea of a shame is that it brings chaos into harmony. Now think about this. 
I remember one year, I used to go to, uh, I used to be, I don't know, whatever they call it, the camp, one of the camp rabbis at Camp Mojava, many years ago. And every Friday night, we would all go to the dining room. Anybody here go to I.O.? Camp I.O.? Whatever? Okay. So it's a big dining room, and they got the mishpachot out there, and the people in there, massive dining room, made of wood. It's an acoustic nightmare. And there was always one nebuch, and his or her job was to stand up on a chair and get everybody quiet so they could do, I don't remember what, tell a Torah, do announcements, or whatever. And it was horrendous. I mean, there's like, you know, little kids and big kids. There's like 800 people in this wooden dining room. Impossible. And, they find, and I watched this for 20 minutes every Friday night. They get this section quiet, that customer started talking. I couldn't take it anymore. One day I woke up and I say to the guy, I think it was a Rosh Mosh, and he's getting all hoarse. I say, would you mind if I help you out? Right? He says, no, great. I get up on the chair, I look around. And I see somebody all the way in the corner, right? And I say, Tzvi Prakov! All the way in the corner. Everybody goes quiet. What did Tzvi do? Everybody starts to look. What's going on? They all go quiet. And I say, okay, go ahead. Right? He was like, and he had this look. I still know something. You see that, right? A name brings chaos into harmony. Now, it's, a, it's true. When, when, you, when you start the year and you don't know anybody's name, it's chaos. I'm standing in the room and I want to tell, I don't know, Jack, be quiet, Bolino, be quiet. I can't do that. Now, shame is a dangerous thing. Because just because I know your name doesn't mean I know who you are. But it's a designation of place or person. It means I'm talking about you and not somebody else. What do we call God when we know we can't say Hashem's name? We say Hashem, the name. We don't want to say his name, so we say, call him the name. That makes no sense. What are we really saying there? We're saying we know that what we're talking about here is the source of harmony in the world. If you want to have a world of chaos, take Hashem out of the equation. If you want a world of harmony, then Hashem has to be in the equation. And that's what we're saying when we say the word Hashem. What was going on in Migdal Bava? What does Hashem do? He says they're all together. That's awesome. There's harmony. Hashem says, this is not working. So what does he do? Hava nevlesvatam or nevalasvatam. We're going to mix up their language and we're going to spread them out. What were they nervous about? We don't want to spread out. What does he do to them? He spreads them out, right? You with me? The one thing they have going for them, that they're all together and he ruins it. What's going on here? And why is this story the conclusion of the Pasha that talks about the destruction of the world? So I'm going to explain to you something. The first half of the Pasha is when people can't work together. The second part of the Pasha is the dangers of when they work together too well. Rabbi Sachs used to call this the dignity of dissonance. Right? I want you to imagine an image. 100,000 people. And they're all standing at the Brandenburg Gate in Germany in 1938. And they've all got their hands out. And they're all one. But their oneness destroys any possibility for otherness. There is a danger sometimes to unity. If we're all of one mind and no one else can have a different perception, that's dangerous. That's what Hamas wants, by the way. They want one idea and there's no room for anybody else. Right? Yoshua doesn't want to destroy the world. If the Girgashites want to leave, they can leave. And they do. They go to Afriki. That's fine. Right? If you want to live in this country, you've got to share certain ideals. But you don't have to. But that's not Hamas's way. Everybody has to buy into it. If they don't buy into it, if you're part of the Palestinian Authority, and don't worry, I've got my issues with them, and it's 2006, and you don't like the way they do things, there's no room for discussion. There's no debate around the table. 
You go up to the 11th floor in Gaza City, which is the capital of Gaza, such as it is. Beautiful offices there. I was in that building once. Unbelievable. It doesn't fit the paradigm of refugees or whatever. And they find like 20 or 30 officers with the top sort of, you know, officers and decision makers in the Palestinian Authority in Gaza. And they just throw them out the window from the 11th floor. That's how they deal with dissonance. Everybody has to be the same mind. That's very dangerous. Shem says, if this is what you're going to do with unity, better you split up. What did they really do? We want to be the source of harmony in the world. When you think you're the source, that it's all about you, we're going to learn this in the that's when things go down. You are not the source. That's idolatry. You are a vehicle for the source. That's Kedusha. So the, the story begins with a society that is at odds with each other to such a degree that the world can't handle it and needs to be destroyed. It concludes with a society that's so one that it could destroy the world. And that also has to be destroyed. And the Torah is teaching us this is what the world is not supposed to be. We started in Breshit. This is the world it should be. It should be full of light. That's how it starts. In Noach, we find out what happens when it goes wrong. And Hashem says, that has to be destroyed. Now we're ready to start again. And that's why next week's parsha is parsha of Lech Lecha. Lech Lecha is how you make a world full of light. You don't change the whole world at once. You start with one guy. Lech Lecha. We're going to talk about this next week. Who's the one guy you need to start with? You. I don't know if I can change the world. I can change me. Because me has what to contribute. That's a powerful idea. That's a really powerful idea. We are living in very difficult times. But when things get this difficult, it's so crazy, you know what it means? It means Hashem is stirring the pot. It means redemption is closer. There's something going on here. This is a watershed event. I want you to understand that. I was listening to a, uh, a podcast, uh, uh, Barry Weiss, I think it's called Honestly. If you've never heard this podcast, I recommend it. Um, she was interviewing Condoleezza Rice. Condoleezza Rice was the Secretary of State uh, through five different conflicts in Gaza with President Bush. And um, she was the National Security Advisor. She was the Secretary of State during the World Trade Center. If there was ever a crisis in, in, in modern America, that was it. So she was interviewing. Barry Weiss was interviewing to talk about I'm putting aside for the moment the things that she said that I disagree with, that just blow my mind that somebody could think that after these events. Right? This just blows my mind. But do you reach a point where you need to understand that we are confronting evil? And I was fascinated by this because, you know, she's, she's, she's a Jewish woman, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, her story is fascinating. After the Q&A, if you're curious, I'll tell it to you. It's only 60 seconds, but it's pretty interesting. And, and she normally has, like, every week she has a different podcast on a different topic. And since this has happened, she's had five podcasts all on this topic. And I'm like, wow, that's, first of all, it's impressive. She has a lot of good things to say. And second of all, it's, it's a, so finally the fifth podcast, she started talking about this. I didn't get to listen to all podcasts. I heard 10 minutes, and then I got to where I was going, so I, that's when I listened to it. But she said something that I think is really spot on. This is not just a war. First of all, I assume everybody here understands this has nothing to do with the Palestinian people. I'm putting aside for the moment whether there is such an entity, the Palestinian people. That is a legitimate question, and I'm going to answer it in the back room, because I finally 
I think it's time to stop being politically correct. But okay. And, and you can disagree with me, right? But um, once you get your choned, right? Because then you won't be mad, right? And I'm putting that aside, right? Um, but a lot of people think that this is about, you know, the rights of the Arabs who are living in Aza. Whatever. There's nothing to do with people living in Aza. Hamas could care less about the people living in Aza. If there's any entity that has done more damage to the Palestinians in Aza, then Hamas, I challenge you to come up with it. You know what this is? This is a war for civilization. This is a watershed event. Who are we going to be? You know, there are 32 groups that got together in Harvard, and they're rallying for Hamas. In, in, in Penn. I, mean, I don't know if you know what's going on in the universities that some of you are going to. In Penn. I mean, that's an Ivy League university. They, 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 they're, they're, the statements that are coming out of the leadership of the university is horrendous. They're equivocating. It took Stanford 48 hours to come up with this measly parv you know, statement about how we detect... It's unbelievable. What's complicated here? They're murdering children. This is a battle for civilization. Who are we? Who do we want to be? And, and make no mistake about it, you know? Um, do I think that uh, they're going to be pogroms and gas chambers in America next week? No. But if you, if you take a step back, he who sees what's coming, if you think that your grandchildren are going to be safe in America, you are not seeing the same map that I'm seeing. It is scary what is going on in America. You know, Hamas de- declared this day of rage, and then they turned it into a call for all Arabs everywhere to, to, to rise up and fight, not just against... Jews, because that's what this is. This is an attempt to destroy a Jewish state, right? From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. The river is the Jordan River. The sea is the Mediterranean. If that whole thing is Palestine, there's not a lot of room for us. We get six feet into the water, if you know what I mean. So what do you do with this? I mean, you're... This war, I want you to understand, is not just about, it's not just the guys who are on the border. It's not just my son and my son-in-law and my nephews and all the people that you've heard of and whatever. I mean, they took away their phones. And thank God I'm really, I don't know if happy is the right word, but I'm, I'm glad that they're taking their time and they're training them well and they're getting them ready and they're thinking this through. Because one of the problems that happened two weeks ago was they weren't thinking, they were, they were caught off guard. They do not intend to be caught off guard again. Um, and they're obviously fighting a war. They, you know, have Nishakim and they're going to go in and that's pretty scary. But this war isn't just in Israel. This war is all over the world. Every Jewish community in the world is now at war. And anybody who didn't figure that out has now figured it out. And that includes us. Now, how do we fight that war? So this brings me to my last point. You know that I believe that Hashem runs the world. And you know that I think that everything that happens in this world happens for a reason. Now, some things are little things. You don't think about them. You know, Let's imagine for a moment a tremendous tragedy occurs and the children doesn't get it. That'd be unbelievable. We'd have to think about that. But that's... But something like this? That An Simchas Torah... I mean, do, has anybody here besides me taken a moment to think... We're here. And we're, think, we're feeling like we're being responsible. And we're not going out. And we're dancing in here. And I felt bad for you, whatever. And that feeling went totally away when we found out at the Shabbos was going on. That wasn't even the issue anymore. We're here dancing with Sifrei Torah... And they're murdering them at the exact same time. That is unbelievable to me. On Simchas Torah they do this. What is Simchas Torah? I gave you a shear before Sukkot. 
And we talked about the fact that, the, that in Hilchah Sukkah, at the end of Hilchah Sukkah, the Rambam says, HaSimcha mitzvah gdola ad ma'odi. Simcha is a very big mitzvah. And you shall rejoice. And whoever prevents himself from experiencing it, he's worthy of consequence, which might mean punishment. And how does he know this? Because you didn't serve Hashem b'simcha. And if you remember, I told you, that pasuk is in the middle of Perak Havchet in Dvarim, one of the most difficult chapters in the entire Torah. It's a, it's a, it's a parasha that speaks to me of the Holocaust. All that occurs because we didn't serve Hashem b'simcha. Not that we didn't serve Hashem, we didn't serve Hashem b'simcha. So what does that mean? It means that if you forget the purpose, if you forget, if you, if you stop thinking about why we're doing what we're doing, you're still putting on the tefillin, you have no idea why. You're still celebrating Shabbat, but you have no idea why. Eventually, you start leaving Shabbat. You start leaving Shabbat, you start leaving tefillin. You start leaving ethics and Jewish behavior, whatever that might be, and all of a sudden, why are you here? The Jewish people are not just here because it makes us feel good and we get a good show. The Jewish people are here because the world needs the Jewish people. There needs to be a moral compass in this world. There needs to be a society that shows the world what a society should be. It is not accidental that one of the most, if not the most, evil societies that hid behind all sorts of rallies and... But now it bared its face. When Yaakov becomes distant, Esav, Sonius Yaakov makes it clear. This is ISIS. This is today the most barbaric society that exists. And who are they attacking? The Jews. Why? Because we are what threaten them. A moral light, a society that behaves like we do, is a threat to pure evil. And that's what this war is about. And this war is not just here. Every Jewish community, every area in the world, is in this war. And whether you're fighting this war by, 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 by doing chesed, or fighting on the front lines, or, or, or learning Torah, everybody has their role. Now, I'm not saying that a person who's putting himself in harm's way, especially if he's wearing his tzitzis and his kippah and everything else, and, and, and th- 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 that we're on the same level. I'm sitting here giving a sheard. I'm going to go home and sleep in my bed. And he's going to sleep on concrete and have to keep his head down so that no sniper bullets come through the window. I'm not saying that we're... He's in a much higher madrega than us now. But that isn't our role. Hashem didn't put us in that role for whatever the reason, nor me. We have this role. And this is what they want to destroy. They're not just trying to kill soldiers. They want to destroy the essence of the Jewish people. And you know what the essence of the Jewish people is? It's Torah. Because if you remove God from the equation, then there's nothing left. If you don't understand, if you don't have a healthy relationship with Hashem, if you have the Hamas perception of God, then you become an animal. The flood happens because human beings became animals. And the animal in the world had to be destroyed and redeveloped. We have the capability to rise above our animal selves. We have the capability to not necessarily follow our desires when they're contrary to what Hashem wants of us. That's a hard thing. An animal doesn't do that. You know what an animal does? Whatever it feels like doing. That's what an animal does. According to Rashi in the Medrash, the Nachash, the snake, desires Chava because he sees Chava and and, and Adam cohabitating in public. La'ine kol, that's what Rashi says. It's a very strange Rashi. Right? First of all, who's la'ine kol? What does that mean? Like, there's nobody there. Well, what is it when two people, right? Vayushnehem arumim valoit boshashu. That's the pasuk that occurs right before the story of Eitzadat. What does that mean they were naked and they were not ashamed? It means that they were animals. An animal doesn't look around to see if anybody's watching. If you're a lion and you want to have baby lions and you're in the safari, by the way, there's an Israel to look at that. 
If you're on a safari, you see an animal, you're not supposed to look at that. It's not appropriate. Because that's so pure, raw animal, and we're supposed to rise above that. When a person does that, when he gives way to his most base desires, that he can kill human beings and murder them, he is an animal. And the flood teaches me that when we become animals, we don't deserve to be here. So Hashem destroys all of us. All the animal instinct, all the animal instinct says we got to start again. And starting again means something has to be different. You know what becomes different? It doesn't work with Noah. Because Shait's son, Enosh, takes us back to idolatry. And the parsha of Noah teaches me that if God is not in the equation, there is no world. So Avram Avinu comes along and he saves the world, not Noah. Noah saves the world to be the same world. There's no difference. Now we've been doing that for 25 years. They shoot missiles, we go in. They're deterred. They get more missiles, they shoot them again. At a certain point, that world needs to be destroyed. I'm not happy about this at all. I don't live in the jingo, gung-ho, let's get all the soldiers. These are people that we love that are going to harm's way. It's a very hard thing to say. But if you don't destroy evil, then evil flourishes. And that's our job. Our job, for whatever the reason, is to see a world where evil gets vanquished. And this is not just the Jewish people's war now. This is the Western civilization's war. It's, it's, it's a battle for survival. It is a world war. And it's a holy war in a healthy way. And that's what we have to struggle with. So that doesn't mean that I think that everybody here is supposed to stay and do the army. That's a struggle you can have, and I think it's a good struggle, but I don't judge people who don't go, and everybody grew up in their way, and that's... But if you're going back to a campus, understand that you are going back to a war zone. A friend of mine who I was talking to today told me his son goes to an Ivy League university, and the son called him up and he said, you know, there's a big rally on campus, Palestinians, and it's, you know, called to, 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 to salute the martyrs. Not the martyrs of the Jewish people. They're martyrs. Islamic Jihad and Hamas. And they had this poster, you know, with, with like, you know, swords and arm rays. We're proud. We, have a, we can breathe in Aza now. Stop the occupation. By the way, I agree we should stop the occupation. You know who's been occupying Aza for 20 years? Hamas. Not us. So this student uh, said to my, you know what? Whatever, it doesn't matter. She said to this friend of mine, should I go? So the friend said to him, listen, you have to understand. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're an adult, you have to decide what to do. But understand that this is a serious thing. Like, it could get violent. You get punched in the nose. And if, you know, you don't want to get punched in the nose, the safest way to not get punched in the nose. You know, and this is not a violent boy. This is a very peaceful boy, healthy kid, went to a right desk, stage on a bed, wonderful boy. Right? And it could get violent. You get hurt. Now, if you think, God forbid, you're going to get killed, then for sure you shouldn't go. It's because nefesh. But if you think you might get pushed, you might get bloody nose. So then, if you don't want to do that, then understand, don't go. But he said to him one more thing. He said, just understand. Your brothers are over there, and they're putting their lives on the line. This war isn't just about them. This is our war too. And this is how you fight your war. And is it important enough to you, this war, to take that risk? You sit quietly in the class, a professor at Columbia University. Columbia University. <clears throat> in the heart of New York. A professor at Columbia University separated, this happened this week, separated Jews and non-Jews and told all the Jewish students that they're colonialists and blamed them for this whole story. And you know the most incredible thing? This professor is still teaching there. So I, I'm like, you know, that's not my battle. My battle is not Columbia University. hate. have a good time. But we're here. We'll be here long after your, your Columbia classes are gone. 
But if I was a student in that class, what would you do? And it takes a lot of guts to stand up and call out a professor. First of all, you'd probably fail your class. And second of all, you could be targeted on campus. But if you're willing to sit in a classroom like that and not say anything, and by the way, just to be clear, this is easy for me to say. I'm sitting here in my ivory tower in Yushalayim. I don't know what I would do. I'm just saying what I hope I would do. There's a difference. I'm not judging anybody there. But if you could sit in a class like that and not say anything and just go about your business, then they're winning. And you're failing. And what are you doing there? If that's your, if that's, if you're scared, then don't go to Columbia University. You got a choice. You can stand up and say, I'm out of here. You can send a letter to the provost that says, I'm transferring, I don't want to be here anymore. By the way, where would you transfer? You go to Penn now, Penn. Penn's a disaster. Or Stanford now, Stanford's a Harvard, 32 groups in Harvard. Stanford, disaster. Where do you go? University of Virginia? That was even worse. Why you? Ah, why you? Yeah. By the way, that is the question. That's the big question, by the way. Why you? Why? I couldn't come up with the answer to that question. I said, why me? I belong here. I came here. But okay. This is the story of Noah. This is the story of Noah. We're living through difficult times. I want you to understand, there was a group that got together here, and they said 10 to 12 at night, we're going to learn Torah. We can't just go about our business. Something has to be different. We're going to add Torah, and in the merit of that Torah, our soldiers should be saved. That is a productive thing to do. It can't be. I don't think you're supposed to spend 20 hours a day learning and not have any fun and not do anything. Because you'll break. You're not there yet. But a little bit. A little more. Something extra. And I want you to know, and you all know this now, chesed is awesome and such a mitzvah. And there are lots of times to do chesed. The hard work here of Dessler says, when you're not sure what to do, pick the path that's more difficult. That's usually the right one. Learning Torah is hard work. And that seems to be what we're being called on to do. They wanted to destroy Torah. Torah is our recipe for how to deal with Hamas. We will show them that they can't destroy Torah. Every Tosos you do is on a certain level like a bullet that, that a soldier is firing in, in Aza. I don't equate them. They're not on the same level. And I guess it depends who you ask, which is where. But that's our... That, no, that, that's a legitimate question. But that's our role right now. Shem should bless us that we hear good news, that our soldiers are safe, that the boys come home, that the Paris family knows peace. I can't even imagine what they're going through. And I'm, I constantly am thinking about them. There isn't anything. What do you do? You call them up. There's nothing to say. Hashem should bless all of them to come home soon and to know what's happening. Bezrat Hashem. And, and we should put this on a shelf. And, and, and without any loss of soldiers, we should get rid of Hamas and free the people who are living there, the Arabs that are living there, and help them to to rebuild their schools and train teachers to educate them in peace and not in violence and war and, 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 and build a society. When Avram Avinu dies, says, Yitzchak and Yishmael bury Avram Avinu. And Rashi there says, the order's wrong, right? Yishmael's older. Says, the end of his life, Yishmael understood his rightful place and he honored Yitzchak and they came back together. There was peace. There was peace. Yitzchak goes back to Be'er Lachai Roi and brings Keturah back to Mary Avram. She's Hagar, Yishmael's mother. There will come a time, according to Mary Mephoshim, where us and, the, and Yishmael will learn to live together. We are not there yet. We shouldn't give up on it. I don't think the answer is a Palestinian state in the middle of Yudav Shemran, and I'm happy to defend that anywhere I can. But at the very least, don't give up on peace. Just sometimes, in order to get to peace, you have to fight a war. Shem should bless us with success. I wish everybody Shabbat Shalom. Awesome Shabbos.